I was just like, this table has been in the family. So, like, this is, this table's seen some action. Yeah. Like, back when I was just, I couldn't get people to do an entire, video, like, movie, so I was just making fake movie trailers in high school. This one, you took some tumbles over this one. Nice. Uh, it's taken <laughs> some hits. Uh, it's not quite the uh, WWE yeah. announce table, but it's it's pretty close. Like, no, if it wanted to go pro, it, it totally could have gone pro. No one's ever gone through it. No, no. No one has ever gone through it, considering that its its legs are in the middle. Yeah. I, that would, I don't think that would go well. I think, yeah, either it would turn into a catapult yes. or someone be impaled on what's below. Yeah, there you go. I, I'm super happy with this because there's something about when I had this set up in the basement or when I had to take everything down, put it back up in the closet after every right. every project, that just becomes so daunting. Mm-hmm. And when one of the things <clears throat> one of the things that I plan on doing is just doing like sitting down and talking. <laughs> it sounds so lazy and stupid, but getting all this stuff down, setting it up, you know, it, it can take the wind out of your sails oh, a little yeah. bit. When I can just sit down and turn it on and hit record, it's it's so much easier. No, there's uh there's definitely some truth to that. It's uh if you can just cut through all the bullshit and get to the art making, yeah. so to speak. Um yeah. That uh, that certainly gets you uh, up off the ground quicker. Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah. one one less excuse. Exactly. Ah, like, oh, I gotta oh. get down and yeah. It's behind it, that door and it's in the closet. It's, it's high. Sometimes the mics are toward the back and hard to reach. I gotta stretch. Yeah. Oh, it's the worst. I gotta open the doorknob. <laughs> And open the door, and then there's all the stuff and the cables to plug in. Uh, and it's the worst. Yeah. No, you're just thinking to yourself, you're like, all right, that's a fucking half hour. Right. Um, at least. Mm-hmm. So, and then to put it away, like, if I don't put it away right away, there'll be some ass pain involved with that. Yes. Tinkerbell, could you find a quieter treat? She <laughs> just on. looks at you like, how dare you? How dare you take the you antler bone? You on this, but the minute I start a podcast, you're like, ooh, yeah. I remember. Let me get this thing that bangs on the hardwood floor. As Phil goes into the said closet, uh-oh. What's that, doggy crack? Looks like a peppermint stick here. <laughs> he goes for the peppermint stick first. Our, uh, our dog gained seven pounds over the winter. Nice. Which, for her, I think that's like... 40% of her body weight. It's pretty, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty close. Uh, so I don't think it's as much the treats as it is like I let her clean off my plate when I'm done eating. So we're trying to be more sensible in our in our intake. <laughs> um, so I, oh, uh, Michelle Wolf was on Seth Meyers' show, National Treasure Michelle Wolf. And she mentioned doing a 50-mile ultramarathon. Okay. <clears throat> and I know there for a while, you were doing the marathon thing as well. Yeah. I have no basis of understanding for, for that activity. Uh, even when I was at my physical best, I hated running long distance. Mm-hmm. Um, and to, to sort of illustrate how far away I am from this thinking (laughs) when she said, yeah, I ran 50 miles. What happened in my head is I thought, what do you do for 50 miles? Yeah. Like not, you know, the idea of that, well, you're running. No, that doesn't land in my head. It's you have to do some sort of mind exercise or activity to not be thinking about, fuck, I'm chafing. Yeah. Uh, my knee hurts. Yeah. My rib hurts. My ear hurts. Why does my ear hurt? Like, I just, that's my experience with running is you're six steps in. And what part of my body am I now concerned about? Yeah. So what drove you to that in the first place? Like what, 
you had you had a goal of wanting to run the Boston Marathon, correct? Correct. So, <laughs> how how do you decide that that's the goal that's that the you want to have? Yeah. So uh, the running the the running story backs up to um, I, I I I ran a little bit. I was always good at like the mile in grade school. Mm-hmm. Um, I I ran track uh, in high school. Um, oh, you did. Yes. Okay, I, I wasn't aware of that. I uh, junior and senior year, I did. I did indoor track and uh, loved the jumping events, yeah. long jump and triple jump, um, and uh, actually was forced to decide between baseball and out the outdoor season of track my right. senior year, and it, it, uh, it's something that's kind of stuck with me, that decision. That was hard to make, and uh, it helped that the baseball coach was an utter ass. Oh, my God. So We can cover that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, and of course now I'm like coaching, you know, the 10 year old, uh, his baseball team and it's like all coming full circle. But, um, so I, I actually chose, I like looked down both paths to where they, you know, curved back into the woods and, Mm -hmm. uh, was doing really well at triple jump and, um, was like, I think I could probably get all conference here. Yeah. And, uh, and so I, but I had to, to stay with the track uh, for the outdoor season in order to accomplish that. So I, I actually made that decision. I was having a lot of fun with it. So that was like the track basis. Um, you know, and we certainly did a ton of, of running in, in all of that, but um, kind of got away from running quite a bit. Actually, what pulled me back in, and I'm sure it's a common story, is, um, you know, there was like a 5K, 10K boom right around yeah. 2004, 2005, yeah. um, which, so I did a 10K. I actually signed up for the 5K, got there, was like, eh, let's just do, let's just do the full 10K. Mm-hmm. And it was pure misery. Um, <laughs> I walked several that's not, times. You're messing the narrative, man. You're not, that's not how it goes. It goes, it was... Yeah. I left my body. Yeah. It was a, oh, I just was, existential joy. No, I was fully in the body. Um, <laughs> it was existential uh, something, but yeah. it was not joy. And um, I mean, it was pure pain. I was calling on all sorts of gods to like yeah. come help. Sure. Um, you know, really going to dark places. Like, I can't believe I did this shit. Um <laughs> Walked several times, just like had to like give up and walk several times. And, uh, you know, right up to the point where I was like at the base of the final hill, had no idea how much was left in the race. Oh, and I like walked up I the hill, got to the top. It's like 50 yards away, finish line. I'm like, you're a pussy. <laughs> so I just ran it, you know, like jogged across. And then that really just kind of stuck in the craw quite a bit. And uh, it's like, okay. Rule number one, figure out how many miles 10 kilometers sure. equals. And uh, so that was a good good idea. And this first. was pre-Fitbit. This was pre-Fitbit. This was, this was you know, pre-iPhone. Um, yeah. But uh, that, that kind of kicked things off because when I looked at it, despite all the suck, uh, it, was, it was kind of a high point of the year. I was really glad I did it. They gave you a nice medal and a nice shirt. Um, and then I kind of came back and signed up for another race. It might have been like the Chicago uh, Shamrock Shuffle. It's only like five miles. Um, so what I found over the course of the next few years is that I would sign up for a race, you know, a few months in advance. Mm. I'd go out and I'd run and I'd kind of get in shape uh, for it and I'd and then I'd go do the race, and it was a lot of fun. And then, you know, I'd go about my business the rest of the year, smoking cigarettes and and, yeah. and drinking beer, and and uh, not really being much of a runner after the race happened. Mm-hmm. So eventually, I came to the realization that when I look back around New Year's time on the prior year, you know, what what are you proud of? What you know, just the Nothing real serious, but just kind of looking back, thinking about the race day yeah. that I did, you know, and the maybe the training leading up to it. That's kind of where I felt uh, most, uh, you know, most 
pride, I guess, in, you know, what, what you did this year, buddy, you mm-hmm. know, like, well, you did that race and that was a lot of fun and, um, still not taking it very seriously, but, um, eventually, uh, read the, the book born to run mm-hmm. around the same time that became my favorite Bruce Springsteen album, <laughs> which was kind of weird, but, um, so you were what? 30? Approximately, I was 28. So 28, 29. Yeah, two, yeah, 2008, 2009, right through there. And what I did was, um, so I had one of those New Year's revolu- revelations, and I, I said, okay, you're gonna, you're gonna do a half marathon this year. Okay. So, so I put that up on on the old calendar. I found it. It was, um, it was one of the Chicago. It was a Chicago half marathon. And, uh, and, you know, it was like, I accomplished this feat. Uh, you know, I, I set a goal and I, and I did it. I, right. I did what I had to do to, to be able to run the 13.1 miles, which totally seemed, you know, impossible mm-hmm. at the time when it was like, I'd only run like eight miles, maybe seven, you know, it was right. like really not much more than the 10 K was as far as I'd ever gone. Did, have you ever run the Bix? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that, um, that, that was a race that was always on my radar. Mm-hmm. And so so I accomplished this half marathon thing and I kind of, you know, felt that sense of accomplishment and saw how, hey, you put a goal out there and things happen. You mm-hmm. know, like, and the training kind of falls into place. Right. And you just get it done somehow. It's like magic, you know, every, you know, little step towards your goal, it all, it all helps. Okay, so Randy, who is very, she's very into like, uh, personal development and stuff like that right now she would ask me so did you did you did you chop that goal into bits did you have a schedule laid out for yourself or was it just I'm gonna run every day like how, how did what was prep for for like the half marathon so um there's a lot of like training schedules out there you know that you can just print off and and put on the fridge yeah. You know what I mean? And I could never. Some of them can kiss my ass. Yeah. I, you know, I'm not a runner every day. Um, I've really, um, it just, I know some people run every damn day and I'm just, that's not me. Um, right. I, I feel good if I'm getting in, um, you know, like if I'm running every other day, I'm running a lot in my opinion. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I guess you could call me a believer in recovery. <laughs> Um, but there's actually a lot of science that has come out kind of more recently that, you know, the growth actually happens when you're recovering. Um, believe it or not, it's not when you're breaking down. It's when your body is building, right, building back, up. back up. So it's, you know, uh, step, step back, two steps forward type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was not great. And then so what happened is I came, came out, moved, we moved out to the Quad Cities, which is actually a, a really great running community um yeah with with the with the classic bix classic seven mile um road race hilly as could be um attended by some of the biggest names in the running community uh including meb uh everyone's hero and uh um so sign up for that and similar thing happened um it was like you know you you really enjoyed running that that seven miler and I was, and I had gotten the barefoot running shoes, the, the Vibrams five finger toe shoes. I'd done some, um, some barefoot running and was kind of getting into, uh, really kind of latched on to the, um, the biology. Like that really caught my imagination. Like we yeah. were born to do that. I was born to do this. You right. know? Like you were a runner in your past. Um, you know, it keeps you out of trouble. Um, it's a great way to blow off some steam. You mm-hmm. know, it's kind of, fill up with cortisol and then goodish flush, uh, at the end of the day. So I was really kind of trying to get, to get into that. And, um, you know, was loving the races. was still trying to live kind of on both sides of the coin as far as, you know, I'd be smoking cigarettes on the golf course and, uh, and when I drank and then, you know, the next day trying to go out there and be, be a runner. And I, yeah. at some point I kind of realized that, you know, you're, you're an ass. And, um, so the, the culminating moment. So I had, I had, uh, had that, that goal setting moment, um, went ahead and, and, you know, despite the fears signed up for the quad city marathon, um, train like an asshole, 
um, would do a couple of runs every week, um, you know, try to do it, you know, intermittently, again, smoking, drinking, and then went out on race day, um, already had a twinge in my calf, but ended up get, giving myself a grade two calf strain. It was like seven, eight miles into it, and the thing just started barking, and it was pure hell. Yeah. So I finished uh and you know like on the verge of tears it was it was like the worst ever um the last 10k the last six miles um of the quad city marathon specifically is a total mind fuck okay because you come off the arsenal bridge Mm -hmm. and then into iowa into illinois okay so it's a beautiful course you're you start out you cross uh from illinois right over the 74 bridge into Iowa. So that's okay. an amazing start. Sure. You run up into the hills of Bendorf. You come along back along the river, uh, running west into Davenport. You cross the Centennial Bridge, another awesome moment. You're coming back back through Rock Island. You go another bridge uh, onto Arsenal Island, which is badass, mm-hmm. and you're running around on there. And then at mile 20, you come off the Arsenal Bridge you look to your right, and about a hundred yards down the road is the finish line. Oh, okay. And you turn left. <laughs> <laughs> so this is mo- so the finish line is probably what the the IY. Correct. Okay. Yes. yes, the finish line is right there. The crowds for the finish line are cheering. You are you've already run as farther than you have ever run in your life. Right. And you take a left and you go run six more miles. That's amazing. So three mile out and back. Yeah. Still facing you flat, boring, um, sparsely populated. Illinois. Illinois. Yes. And it's just, I mean, the going out is the worst. I mean, Mm -hmm. at least when you turn around, you've made it to the halfway point. And plenty of people consider the final 10K of the marathon when the race begins. So right. it's it it has all that. I mean, that's not surprising anybody that that runs these things. It's like that's when you hit the wall, mm-hmm. which I did, and um, you know that's that's where uh, you know you separate the wheat from the chaff as far as things are concerned with the mar- with the marathon. But so I I performed poorly. It was kind of a similar scenario to that first 10k. Like I my my calf blew up. Um, my brother, who has ruptured his Achilles tendon, mm-hmm. saw the picture that I sent him. And he said, uh, yeah, that looks like how mine did when I ruptured mine. It was a grade two, which is some tearing, but not full on rupture. And it was mm-hmm. just, it was pretty disappointing. You know, my time kind of sucked. I ran a, like a 345. Um, and it was just not, and I knew it was all my, my own damn fault. Yeah. So um, that was... That was, uh, you know, kind of a look in the mirror, and it was like, "What do you want to do here? Do you, I mean, are you satisfied with that?" And I wasn't, mm-hmm. and uh, and so I decided uh, that winter to uh, to put something that seemed completely ludicrous up on the board, and it was to qualify for Boston, which um, would require a uh, a time of sub three oh five to do that. Okay. Um, so a quarter of your time you had to shave off. Yeah, I did. I had to lose about forty to forty-five minutes off my time, which is kind of a lot. So, <laughs> yeah. But um, you know, uh, you know, you build off of the uh, the experience of running that far. I mean, a lot of times they say you know your first marathon just run it to finish it. I mean, you're setting mm-hmm. a PR, you're setting a PR, a personal record. So you know, just go out there to complete the the course. And, um, you know, got, got much smarter and much more serious about the training. I realized like, look, you can't, you can't have your cake and eat it too, pal. You know, you got to right. cut the cigs and get, get serious about it. And so I did, I, I took it up much more seriously and came back and, and qualified, um, with a three hour, like 42 second marathon. So again, it was awesome. Mm-hmm. amazing but damn it you know can you run a sub three yeah it was like one more yeah little like eh, all right but so it's like two two seconds a mile yeah it's 
ridiculous. Yeah, it's that's... like you're so close. To, and and that's that's I mean qualifying for Boston was was amazing and you know it's a total feather in the cap for runners and um and then another one is being able to to say yeah I ran a sub 3. So um it kept the fire stoked. Mm-hmm. I mean and um I just went all in. Yeah. I went all in, you know, I sacrificed a lot um and uh and did what I had to do to get it done and, and um, maintained it for the next couple of years. Came back, ran um, Chicago the following fall, um, and, and got my, uh, my sub three, ran a 258 and change. Um, and then the following spring, um, ran Boston. So walk me, th- <laughs> walk me through a run. Like, to me, the obviously the physical demands of it are obvious, but to me, the the fascinating thing is is the mental side of it. So, what is in your head, and what is in your head when you start a race, and where does your head end up as the as the the race goes on? You said you said that you started one, pretty sure you were like not in good shape already mm-hmm. like you had a calf issue yeah. at the start right what does that do to your to your mental state it's shaky you're you're uh you're always nervous mm-hmm. and it's the difference between feeling like prepared to go into battle mm-hmm. and fucking not prepared right and you know the difference and so later on you know filled with a ton of confidence like I'm going to nail this damn thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the early going, it was like real shaky. And it was like, you know, who, you know, who do I want to be here? Am I like, you know, you're looking at the guys that are the elites yeah. and the guys that are the age groupers, but you know, they got their shit together. Right. And you're like, man, that, that dude's got his shit together. And then here I am. And I feel like I'm kind of, you know, I'm not like the weekender, but I am. And you know, it's like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. What are you doing? And, you know, so do you try and just go out there and enjoy the nature and kind of the environment? You know, there's some people that are doing the Bix and they're drinking beers along the route. And, you know, that it, sounds horrifying to me. Uh, you know, it's like, you know, it's depend. It all depends on how you want to approach it. You know, mm-hmm. are you there just to finish? I mean, are you there or are you there to like blow out some time? And, yeah. And, uh, you know, and push and like have all the, the work done already ahead of time yeah in order to push and uh do the best best you can and i was I, you know the race day environment is awesome that's yeah. that's the thing is is uh you know for a 37 year old dude you're not participating in anything where they're singing the national anthem <laughs> before it starts <laughs> yeah that's a sporting event i'm right. sorry you're done yeah. yeah you you have been done yeah. for quite some time and right so it's like all right this is, you know, this is game day. This is race day. So there's definitely uh, that. But, um, you know, you just feel better when you've got the work done and you're filled with confidence and you're ready to ready to rumble. Yeah. Um, my here since you shared your Bix, here's my Bix story. <laughs> I have never run the Bix, but I was part of the production team that did the television broadcast nice. of the Bix. Um, the Bix is, I slept at the station because you got to be there at like 4am. Right. And then you split into teams and it, it, it's quite a, a, an ordeal and it's not something that local TV stations are typically like, that's not what they do. Mm-hmm. Like they don't, it's a bigger, it's, it's like they don't all do of big, a sudden you're ESPN. Right. They don't, they don't do big broadcasts. Like when we used to. For a time, we were broadcasting Steam Wheelers games. Mm-hmm. Well, we brought in a professional production team, and we manned the, you know, the the equipment or did you know the PR the production stuff. Um, but as far as the directing and all that, that was all outside help. But the Bix was all KWQC, so you you're literally getting down there before the sun comes up mm-hmm. to be set up for the race to start. That means you have a lot of downtime. I think I only did one Bix. Yes, I only did one because by the time the next one came around, I was an actual photog, so I was actually out doing news while this was going on. 
but so I set up, I was like the, um, the wide shot cam, like the, nice. the, the, the camera the that was the there hill. to see. No, no, no. I was at the, the quad city times building okay. and was there like at the finish, oh, the finish line to get all the people gathering and, and everything else. Whoops. But the thing was, so we, I set up my camera and then this was one of those like ungodly hot Bix races, which have be you know, it's pretty notorious. If you get a mm-hmm. nice day on the Bix, yeah, it's rare. It's awesome. But it most of the time it's hot on the blacktop. Oh yeah. So this was one of the hot ones. And so I set up my camera. We'll say it we'll say the race starts at nine o'clock. It might be earlier, but we'll say nine o'clock. My camera was set up at five in the morning. And the sun comes up on the on the viewfinder side of my camera. So it's been sitting there for like four hours with the sun just beating down on the side of it. And when it finally came time for me to be a camera person, I put my face next to the camera to look in the viewfinder and it was so damn hot that I ended up having like little blisters along my sideburns, but it was so damn hot that I like leapt away from the camera <laughs> because it just singed the right side of my face. We, we rolling again? Yeah. Okay. Um, <clears throat> well, if, if you want to dive back into the, the, the mindset type stuff of on running, um, it's uh, you, you, because you brought up, um, you know, like, oh, that's hurting, and now this is hurting, and now that's hurting. <laughs> um, y- you, it does look. There's a there's a a a, a phrase for in running. It's that you it doesn't get easier. You just get faster. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing. It's like um, you just need to kind of get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Okay. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's pretty much it. It's, you know, the other one is, uh, embrace the suck. Heard that one. So, um, that's a big one to all you young runners out there. Um, just get, just get comfortable with being uncomfortable. In fact, look forward to it. Um, you know, your old friend, your old pal, uh, pain is back. You know, Mm -hmm. there it is. Oh, there it is. But what happens is as you get out there and you get into the miles, um, you notice that it's not getting worse. <laughs> okay. So it's just kind of r- rolling along kind of on a nice plateau yeah. threshold level. Um, you can certainly push harder, but you kind of get that bodily awareness going where you realize where you can be to maintain this Mm -hmm. for about how long you need to maintain it for so that comes with the training um but the pain is you know there's different ways to manage it um it's definitely a big mental game Mm -hmm. you know it's one foot in front of the other there's a lot of um uh you know bodily awareness and proprioception that comes into it You you, you you turn into like a an armchair you know physician at some point you know, mm-hmm. not to mention, you know, like a shoemonger. Um, but you just learn a lot about your body and your physiology. And, um, and then the mental game is, is so enjoyable, in my opinion. Um, you know, you start hearing songs and you're just putting stuff away for a, for a, for a rainy day, like mm-hmm. in the back of your mind. Like um, you'll catch on to little phrases and it's just mantra type stuff. Right. Um, and, and people will think you're crazy. Um, and you, you'll go to these special places in your mind, so to speak. Um, just to, just to kind of get, allow yourself to, to be comfortable with Mm -hmm. the uncomfortableness and keep going. Um, it's not gonna, you know, the race doesn't last forever. Um, so you're, you know, it's just a matter of, of pushing yourself, uh, and, um, and then, you know, come, coming back the next time and doing it again. Mm -hmm. And, uh, what's, what's interesting is when you get, when you get trained up to a certain level, 
um, you start looking at all the time that you're not running as recovery. Right. Um, and it just really kind of can take over your life and you block out your weeks, um, you know, around your race, your, your running schedule. And then, you know, your, your year, the highlight of your year is going to be race day. And hopefully if you've done everything the right way, you get to race day, you can just go out and crush it. Right. So, so yeah, I mean, I don't know how far into the woods you want to get in, in how, in how weird I got (laughs) at my peak. It got a little, it got a little apocalypse now out there. Did it? Um, yeah, a little M-I-C-K-E-Y, mm-hmm. M-O-U-S-E, although th- my mantra, actually, it's it's just one of these things I read in, like, uh, some book <clears throat> that the uh, the Hare Krishna mantra mm-hmm. is um, the only mantra that you can repeat not uh, continuously without it ever winding down or wearing off its effect. So I became somewhat of a Hare Krishna in my mind yeah. as I would repeat this mantra when things got tough. Um, I got into the Grateful Dead, uh, Fire on the Mountain. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got a couple of good lines in there. But I would, I would find that I'd, I'd wake up, I'd, I would get to a, like a, a next level um, on race day, which... Um, it was like ready for battle where my it's like almost like your consciousness kind of opens up and you are you are like pulling these strands out of the universe for which to use uh once you tow the line and i mean any line from from any song can all of a sudden become like the phrase of the day that gets mm-hmm. you through it um which is just tremendously fun and enjoyable and weird um, that you can kind of like, there's like something that, you know, like the tumblers in your mind click open and you get a little bit of extra, you know, juice for battle. Yeah. That, you know, is like anything and everything becomes useful uh, out on the road to just kind of keep, keep your mind happy and, and going. And, you know, to be honest, um, you know, for those long races, another thing, another idea that I really tied into is, you know, like, look, did Michael Jordan, like, ever get tired of being in the zone? I mean, it's a great place to be. Mm-hmm. So as long, you know, and, and like I said, you can kind of, you, the pain doesn't get worse. So once you kind of get comfortable in that uncomfortable moment, you know, and you're you're riding along. You're like, I'm good. I can do this for. I can just keep going. I'm good right here. Right. And uh, and then you're just kind of in the zone. Um. Your 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 breathing is very rhythmic with your footfalls. You're in tune with your foot strikes to make sure that you're efficient. Mm-hmm. You want to stay on. You know, up on your toes, so to speak, with the midfoot strike, so that you're just efficient. And you're in the zone. It's a beautiful day, regardless of the, uh, the elements. And it's, you know, the, uh, the Mihaly chicks of Mihaly. I'm butchered that, but he's the guy that, that did all the research on flow state. Yeah. Um, love that stuff. And it's, it's totally true. I've used that in a lot of different, I found that to be, um, the, the ideal state. I couldn't agree more with what he's, uh, what he's put out there. I think that that is that peak moment, that peak performance is it's, um, it's what happens when you are having a good conversation. It's what happens when you're running a marathon. It's what happens when you're creating any kind of art. Mm-hmm. Um, you just lose sense that mo- that, that moment when you have lost track of all time. Right. Flow. Yeah. So, um, I think that's part of what you get addicted to and the, with the runner's high. I think that all ties back into, I mean, there's, that's all, I mean, that's a biological thing, but I think it's, it's getting into that flow state and whatever brain waves you're producing at that time and all sorts of, uh, good vibrations going on. Yeah. I, I, I guess it, it didn't occur to me in, in until you said it, that running is you know, very rhythm based. Like it's 
how many <laughs> how many soundtracks have been set to just footfalls yeah finding a rhythm makes makes a whole lot of sense when it comes to when it comes to running and the big one you know as far as practical advice it when i was it was kind of like you know one of those moments of epiphany where it's not one two one two where you're a lot of runners have a tendency to kind of say okay i just ran one stride and then i got to start another stride it's kind of hard to describe but if you can picture your running stride more like um the wheels on a bike Mm -hmm. where it is continuous where each step leads to the next one it's more of leaning into the stride than maybe subconsciously putting the brakes on each stride it's like that's more along the lines of embracing the suck it's like look you need to lean into this this next footfall and that'll build up your efficiency you kind of ride through things better and i mean you can really fall apart at the end of a long run the efficiency starts breaking down and all that so the longer you can maintain your efficiency the better yeah it's interesting the the embrace the suck because because it applies to so much more than than running indeed Um, one of the challenges that i had to get over I don't know. There's, for some reason, there's always been a a block for me, where my thinking just sort of degrades. When it came to this podcasting stuff, right off the bat, this there's no way this is going to be uh, what I want it to be from from jump. Mm-hmm. It just won't. Um, I've also started like painting and doing charcoal and stuff, and you want to talk about humbling. <laughs> Even go, you go watch beginner YouTube videos of how to draw a face, and you're like, "This, this looks like an onion. I don't, I don't know what happened. I see what you're doing. Whatever I'm doing on paper, it's not the same thing." Um, and I had to tell myself that I have to, I have to accept that I'm. There's no way I can start where I want to be you you have no knowledge of um how long it's going to take you to get to a certain space and like with the doing charcoal drawings like one of the i've essentially been doing drills where just trying to shade a a a sort of decreasing intensity across a page so you start darker and work to lighter and it's hard as hell and but it's like and and you're not like when you're on Twitter and I've started following a lot of artists from who do comic books but then who do a lot of diverse things. And you're oh, like, cool. God, look what they do! Yeah, you could gain and appreciation. And you're just like, like I can think of all these. You know, I'd love to be able to draw my daughter in a way that's not offensive to her. Right. <laughs> her, this is my stick. Her, her actual yeah, my stick know. figure drawing uh, of you. Yeah, but. Yeah, understanding that that it is a process, and I don't know if it's if it's kind of a midlife crisis thing too, where you're Mm -hmm. like, do (laughs) in ten years I'm going to be fifty, so I don't want to, you know, am I really going to spend that much time getting good at this? And Mm -hmm. uh, even with this podcast thing, I was one of the things that I wanted to do at the very start is I had this idea of of uh, pop culture draft night like that was the podcast that I wanted to do um, where you essentially just do a mock fantasy draft mm-hmm. based on these pop culture whatever you know drafting actors you want to be in the Star Wars universe that type of thing mm-hmm. and because I'm a grown up who has responsibilities mm. who is friends with other grown ups who have responsibilities it's just hard to make that work um, so essentially last year I just quit. I was like, there's no way this is going to work. Yeah. So it's not going to be what I want it to be from the start. So what's the point? Yep. Um, and that's a very, that's a very hard block to get over sometimes. Um, accepting that, you know, in order to get better, sometimes you're going to start it really, really sucking. Yeah. Um, 
and I don't want I don't know what that if that's just pride or narcissism or what, but starting off I always think I should be starting off at least in the middle ground. You know, right. maybe not you know, I'm not gonna be Mark Marin right off the bat, but you know, I could be at least as good as some of these well, look, podcasts, but you, you got the you got the table, you got the setup. And that's the thing. That's that, half the battle right yeah, there. Yeah, it really is like get rid of all the excuses you can have for right. yourself. Streamline the streamline process. Um, honestly, for me, the biggest struggle right now is just going to be getting people to come do it. Because um, I can talk to my wife, you know, in every episode, but I, I don't want to do that. There are too many people out there with good stories that I'm curious about that I want to talk to. Um, I think will make the podcast better. So I just kind of got to keep putting the offers out there and getting people in when they can. Well, yeah, and it's it's a process thing for sure. Um, you know, I think anything is. Right. So, you know, you got to kind of enjoy the process. That's that's the yeah. most important thing. Yeah. And, it, you know, when you're, when you're thinking about art um, or anything, I mean, you know, to tie it back into running even, it's like you're not – you're not racing anybody else right? but yourself. Um, and with art, uh, my experience there is, you know, you can't really worry about making stuff for other people. Mm-hmm. You got to do what makes you happy, that, that kind of turns you on and um, just kind of does it for you and gets – produces your own flow, you know, if we're tying that back in and, um, you know, cause you know, I'm in the same boat, you know, when it comes to, uh, plenty of things, you know, uh, look, I'm not going pro in anything here. (laughs) Um, you know, I've sold a couple of pieces of art. Um, I, I did the running thing. Um, you know, it, but you know, I got a, I've got a, a family and a mm-hmm. full time job, and you know, the kids are getting older and they're getting into sports, and it's like, I ain't got no time for any <laughs> of that. Like, oh, you want to be a distance runner? Oh, you want to get into uh, Ironman triathlons? You right. wanna, oh, you want to train for three uh, distance s- sports? Like, who, who are you kidding, pal? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, I, I still run for pleasure. Um, I don't have any races on the board. Um, I had a series of unfortunate <laughs> events that, uh, injuries yeah. that, uh, that befall most endurance athletes, sure. uh, fell off the bike, um, other fluke stuff, nagging injuries. Mm-hmm. It's all typical to the, to the endurance sport situation. Um, and it just, I, I interpreted those events as, good reasons to maybe slow down on that pursuit of like, you know, look, you're not going pro. You're not going to be like, what is your aim here? Right. Why are you spending so much time on the bike on Saturdays, dude? Yeah. Um, so I kind of, you know, life slapped me in the face with, uh, some injuries and, um, the, uh, the writing seemed like it was on the wall in a, in a, in a number of respects as far as, uh, you know, like, look, you're probably training too much. Some of this stuff kind of smells like overtraining in type injuries and freak accident type stuff. It's like, look, the universe is telling you that, you know, maybe there's some other stuff that you can uh, put your heart and soul into, um, which was true. So, so the, the art stuff I found really interesting because what you've been doing is not a typical like part of the the big group you know it's yeah. not it's not painting it's not drawing it's not it, i i guess the closest thing it would be is sculpture sculpture yeah so where did that start well um we we've had we have an artistic family yes um uh, we have an uncle that uh, is a painter. 
um, really good uh, watercolor painter. Um, you know, all the women in our family are amazing um, quilters. Right. Um, we were raised going to the Art Institute of Chicago for fun. Um, art class always seemed easy. Mm-hmm. It didn't seem like work. So I, being a lazy ass, gravitated <laughs> to, to art class. Yeah. Um, senior year of high school, for whatever reason, I think I had, you know, I had like three art classes a day. Why not? I don't know how that is even possible. But um, so in college, um, you know, I kind of kept it up, got it, got a bunch more art history. So I kind of, you know, was always drawing and, and getting into stuff. Uh, in high school, I started um, pulling rocks out of the river um, yeah. at grandma's house where, um, so our, our, our grandmother, uh, our grandparents lived in a house that was um, on a, on a piece of property that backed up to the Mississippi River, right. um, the old miss and opened up into um, kind of basically like a, a nature preserve um, location on the river. So it was not just on the river, it was a beautiful spot on the river, right. and really awe-inspiring. And like, I'm sure everybody in the family feels the same way. That mm-hmm. That's like, you know, that is in us. So one of the things that I started doing, you know, probably evolved from basic like maintenance of the shoreline <laughs> was, um, you know, grandpa like, hey, uh, there's some, can you clean, clean up those rocks? And like, you know, so I like did something revolutionary, like put one on top of another, another rock. Right. Just and stacking the rocks. Stacking rocks. And then it was like, can I put three there? And so next thing you know, I've got like an obelisk. Of of like six rocks stacked on top of each other. It is a little 2001. Like you just come down like, did the river do that? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it was all for effect. And people would say like, hey, I was driving, you know, down the street and I saw that. I thought it was a person, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, oh, you know, it made it through the flood until that enormous tree came by and completely wiped it out. Right, sure. So then like the next spring I'd. You know, I'd be back from college or something for from for spring break or back over the summer, and I'd put the thing back up for grandma. You know, it actually settled on 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 kind of a continuous design that grandma began calling the lovers, which um, just you know, after she pointed it out, looked like uh, two uh, lovers embracing. I was like, okay, this is pretty sweet, and. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's always been there, and we've always, you know, the driftwood, the deadheads that would be in. So we we grew up, you know, spending a lot of uh, quality time on the river. Um, and then when uh, I moved out here, um, got to got to live along the river, you right. know, for uh, a three year stretch, and you know, had had a, a boy now myself. Um, and got to see the river all four seasons, not just on the weekends and, yeah. you know, and, and really got a chance to, to live that life along the river, um, which was great. And, you know, you, all sorts of interesting shit would float up on shore. So that's, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, so it was kind of the art background and then just seeing enough driftwood to start getting an eye for it where, yeah. you know, like this is an interesting piece of driftwood that you don't mm-hmm. don't see every day. And I'm going to pull that thing out and let it dry on the shore. Right. So it, it, it evolved from that. Um, you know, there's a lot of just, you know, you know it when you see it. Um, yeah. And um, so is it is it is it like a collection process and then working those things into a piece or do you do you have an idea in your mind like this is a design I would like to do let me find the the elements for it so if we're talking specifically about because I, I kind of would fall I would put my art into two baskets I would say I've got the driftwood sculpture mm-hmm. which is essentially a a chunk of driftwood that I may or may not um you know, then put on a uh, welded steel base right. frame, mm-hmm. you know, and display. 
Um, the other, uh, the other basket and kind of thing that I do would be wall art, right? Which is kind of a different. It's a different animal. It, it's more of like a reclaimed process. It's more pulling shit out of a dumpster than <laughs> than stuff out of the river. Yeah. Um, so, um, for the driftwood sculpture, it's 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 all just what what God floated up yeah. in front of me today. Um, and to that end, you know, it it certainly feels like a collaboration with the old good Lord in that sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, where it's, you know, he's the top half there and I'm just kind of receiving this gift in and interpreting it. And, uh, and then, you know, maybe adding my steel base to give it a little bit of uh, golden ratio perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so it's kind of a collaborate, you know, it's full of archetypes. When I look at a piece of, of drift, you know, it's like, it's all symbolic. Yeah. I mean, you have so many running archetypes and, and symbols all jammed into one thing. I mean, you have the tree itself. Mm-hmm. You have the river, our river. Mm-hmm. You have time. It is an expression of, of, of time. I mean, how long has this river, has this, well, the river been flowing? How long has the tree been dead? Yeah. Um, you know, so you've got death there. Um, what else? You've got you're 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 pulling it out. That is like a resurrection. You've got mm-hmm. so you've got rebirth, okay? Um water, uh fire if you're adding the steel, you've got elements there. So it's really this kind of bringing all this stuff together um and into like a piece of you know, and giving it new life. Yeah. So it's, uh, so now it's going to live, you know, for instance, I brought Phil a piece of, uh, of driftwood today that happens to look like, uh, Boba Fett's ship. Indeed. Believe it or not. Uh, we'll put it in the and show like, notes <laughs> and like remarkably close. It will certainly be on Instagram. So this is like, you know, Phil's the perfect recipient of this piece of driftwood. Indeed. Um, but, uh, so it's very symbolic. What do you think? Because I, I I always come back to the to the word creation, and I think that's the that's the thing. Like that is a drive that I have. That is, I wish it was more specific. Like I wish it was. You know, uh, I would like to write a novel. I would like to do this thing, mm-hmm. but. I grew up wanting to make movies that kind of faded away to the writing thing. My writing kind of fell off when I worked at the news at the news station, actually shooting. Mm-hmm. And then this podcast thing popped up and I'm like, Oh, I love that. Mm-hmm. It's funny that I, I think my brain works in sort of a journalistic way and it's not at all um, attached to my time at the news station. Like if I could, if I could just sit and do interviews with people for an hour a day, that would be like my dream job at this point. Just because, um, I, I think, I don't think people give their stories enough credit. Like, I think sometimes people just think, you know, some crazy, like I, I was in, I lived through four hurricanes in the one year that I lived in Florida. And that's probably fascinating to people. But to me, it's just like, yeah, I did that. That was a weird year. And it's a a good story. Yeah. But it doesn't, like, come to mind necessarily as this extraordinary thing. Yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, yeah, I did that. Yeah, you did that. And now I got to make some eggs and... Get you know. Yeah. Oh, time to go to work. Yeah, right. It, I I I hear you. It's you know, but it's it. You know, you and I probably have that same similar drive um, to to create. It's um, you know, and if you've created some things and enjoyed it, then it's mm-hmm. you know, you you're never gonna not want it. Like it's never gonna leave you alone. 
No, it won't. The bug is has bit you. You've created, yeah. um, you know, th- thanks to others, you've gotten some positive feedback. Right. Uh, so you know, when's when's the next dopamine hit? Yeah, absolutely. But you know, and I would just say, I think you know, you got to do it for yourself. Right. Um, it's interesting. I I read this. Uh, there's this book called uh, This Word Now that's sort of like a, it's not a writing prompt book, but it's it's a book that helps people get into the process of writing. And one of the things they said was admit, like, make your goal as big as you would want it to be. Mm. Like, start with the biggest goal rather than, yeah. you know. And for me it was, I kind of had an epiphany where it's like, and this was more to do with my writing where like, I couldn't write in a vacuum anymore. Like it, I needed, I wanted people to read my shit, Mm -hmm. but for some reason I couldn't actually admit that Mm -hmm. because there's this sort of mythology that is built around writers. Um, like they just write, Mm -hmm. um, and one of the nice things that has happened to me on Twitter is I follow a lot of the writers that I admire and half of their feed is, well, half of their feed is fuck Donald Trump. The other half of the feed is like, I am super depressed because I cannot, I can't write. Um, I remember watching Finding Forrester in college. Have you ever seen Finding Forrester? Yeah. Um, where... Uh, Sean Connery mentors this this right. young black kid who has a gift for writing. Um, but there's a scene where Sean Connery has this kid sit down, cue the montage, he, and Sean Connery's just right. Like, just right. And yeah. of course... Just you know, right. Just right. Punch the keys, damn it. <laughs> and so this kid just goes. He just goes. Like, he's just... Just typing away, just typing Stream away. Of consciousness. This whole, and then this story comes out. I'm On like, the road, Jack Kerouac. Just like, boom. Fuck that shit. Right. That is not my experience with writing. My experience with writing is it's it's fucking suffering and it sucks. And the whole time, every time you type a word, is like, ah, oh God, that's not the word I want. This sentence sucks. And it's part of the reason why I have such empathy for uh, George R.R. R. Martin. Mm-hmm. Um, because it sounds like that dude has, I have a similar mindset to him where like every word is just agony. It's like, oh, <laughs> this could be better. And I, I truly believe like with him, obviously he gets pressure for finishing the books because the people love the books. But I truly believe for him, it's just the process is so painful and Mm. his, the amount of detail and plotting in his books is so exquisite that like I can give myself a panic attack just thinking about what that guy's process is like. Plus you have HBO knocking on his door. Hey, can we get like four new shows out of your, out of your brain? Hey, are you going to die before you finish these books? Like there's all this just gross stuff that is completely, separate to the actual writing process right that i'm just like oh man i I don't think as far as writers go i don't feel worse for anybody than i do for for george r R. martin and it was interesting if you can find um online there's a discussion between stephen king and george r R. martin stephen king is one of the most prolific writers like the guy just goes he 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 goes so so much he 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 claims he can't stop like if he takes a there's your guy that runs every day like he right. he's afraid right of not writing well and certainly after will, his and certainly after his he was hit by that car hmm. um yeah if 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 we create because there's a sense of mortality and us wanting to leave something behind that mm-hmm. leaves an impression. Near-death experiences probably kick that into another gear. But even then, there are two ways you can go. And I went the opposite way of Stephen King where 
to me, it's hard for me not to battle the why why none of this matters anymore. Mm-hmm. And Stephen King wrote a book called On Writing, which is his experiences with writing. He said, just write write three pages a day. Right. Just write three pages a day. I'm like, that that doesn't sound hard. That's hard as hell. It's funny that writing becomes this cerebral thing where you always have some little goblin in your head mm-hmm. that's just like, mm. That's and there's nothing more to what has happened to to make. (laughs) You got to work in an hour. You haven't showered yet. Uh, You don't need to write for for twenty minutes of that. I I wonder if uh, Bob Mueller's issued any subpoenas today, or you know, there's a hundred different things. What's new on Instagram? Yeah. What's new on my phone? Oh, the phone. But so the yeah the the creative sort of process is fascinating to me and as as encouraging as it is you know to to see art that you really appreciate like right now i'm obsessed with the americans um that a show can be that good for so long and it hasn't ended yet there's two episodes to go but it looks like they're gonna stick the landing Mm. i'm just like man what it what must it be like to be like a creator of a show that just they nail it yeah i mean that's that's i think that's part of the reason why my wife teases me because i get emotional watching movies or watching television shows it's because there's always a part of it that like they set out to do a thing and they did it and that's taking out you know Art isn't created in a vacuum. These guys had to have meetings with producers. Right. It wasn't a pure process, and somehow they still created this amazing thing. So most of the time when I'm getting emotional at movies, it's because there's there's a connection to the artist and realizing, wow, these guys, these guys came together to do a thing, guys and gals, and and they did it. And there's something inspiring about that and absolutely terrifying right. about it right at the same time because as a writer uh or uh you know a physical artist or runner what do the, all three of those things have in common it's you you don't there's no team there's no. there i mean you start adding people to the puzzle and yeah when you know any kind of production comes across and then you see how many people are in the credits that's infinity war is a good that's when example it gets amazing. of that is i love that infinity war didn't they didn't do their post credit scene until after the credits so you could see holy shit that's there were probably more people in the credits than live in rock island like there were it just went on forever infinity. so many Infinity. Infinity War. Yeah, Infin- it went Infinity in- credits. Infinity credits. They just put an ellipses at the end. That's awesome. But yeah, the the I'm really into um, just seeing artists, writers, directors, actors, just crushing it. There's no other. There's no better high for me as far as the consumption goes, then, then seeing someone who clearly set out to do a specific thing and, and we're able to accomplish it. Yeah. It's, it's just, um, it's, it's for me, uh, it's, you know, observing the creative process, not just consume, not just consuming, but like if you've ever been on set, um, and behind the camera as you, mm-hmm. as, as I know you have, and then the writing and then it's, you know, it, when to see it all come together, um, just, it, it's so much fun. Yeah. It's, it's so, it's, you know, it's the, it's the damn bee's knees is what it is. <laughs> it's, you know, it's like, here we are, we're being artists, we're creating, we're all working together towards the same goal. And, um, you know, I don't care, um, you know, what you know it's like compared to your day job it's like it's right date makes your day job seem really boring yes it does but um you know you gotta gotta make the bacon um to go with the egg somehow right right so what do you do 
It's interesting that you say you mentioned like the process. Now that I think about it, the HBO used to have at least once a week they'd have a new making of new release. Mm. You know, those probably did more for me wanting to make movies than the movies themselves. Mm. Um, and these were. <laughs> Like two I remember off the top of my head. One was called Chain Reaction, which was a Morgan Freeman, Keanu Reeves, Rachel Wise movie that was just tedious as hell. Like it was not a good movie. And the other one was Congo, which if you if you want an example of some of the weird shit that came out of Hollywood in the nineties. Yeah. Congo is a great example. There's essentially a guy who wants to fuck a monkey throughout the entire the entire movie. Oh, that's it's a it's a very great plot twist there. Yeah, yeah it's a very weird sort of. Um, it was after after Jurassic Park, and everybody wanted to do Crichton, yeah. even though Crichton mm, there there's some translation problems with him uh, <laughs> from page to screen. But yeah, I remember the Braveheart was another one where it just, you know, actually one of the one of the uh, few times where seeing how the sausage is made is yeah. actually compelling. Um, I'm really excited to watch the uh, apparently the making of the Last Jedi that follows. Oh yeah, um, Ryan Johnson is supposed to be really good, so I'm anxious to to watch that one, but. Yeah. So it's all about how the sausage is made. It's all about how the sausage is made. And figuring out how to make your own sausage right. at home that you would still eat. <laughs> That's right. <laughs>